Equality and diversity, inclusion and belonging. Words that are creeping ever further to the top of our agenda, both as individuals and as organisations. Thank God for that, I hear you all breathe a sigh of relief. But then why do we still sometimes find these things difficult to talk about? Well, on this episode of Spark Generation, we're diving neck deep into some of the topics surrounding diversity and inclusion, with two fantastic ladies who've been driving the diversity and inclusion agenda forward within their global organisation, Atkins. Karen Blank is the UK Operations Director and has been a driving force behind a sustained and successful campaign within Atkins to progress towards a more diverse workforce. She is also Chair of Aberdeen's cross-industry gender balance group, the Axis Network. Kerry-Ann Cummings is Atkins Market Director for Offshore Wind, having previously been an engineer in both the nuclear and highway sectors. She's a passionate promoter of women in STEM roles, a mentor to many in her industry, and a strong advocate of an equal, inclusive and diverse workplace. So join Karen, Kerry-Ann and me, Joe Hennigan, as we highlight what some of the issues are, the things that we've experienced or witnessed, and what we can all do to start to shift the narrative. Inclusion is, after all, all of our business. Hi, Karen. Hi, Kerry-Ann. Thanks for joining Hi, us on the Spark Generation. I've been waiting for this conversation for weeks and weeks, and we've got so much to talk about. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to dive right in. Um, like to start yeah. off with just kind of uh, finding out a little bit more about you, though. So, Karen, starting with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you share your life with. Sure. So, my name is Karen Bonk. I um, feel like age is too much information, so we'll not go into that. Um, I live in Aberdeen. I've lived in Aberdeen for 10 years. I am from Scotland. Um, I work for Atkins. I'm the operations director. Um, and I share my life with my husband. We've been married for seven or eight years. I don't really know. Um, and we've got two little boys, a four-year-old and a five-year-old, um, Theodore and Barnaby, and a dog and a cat. And I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> dog and cat names, they're just as important. Okay. My dog's called Cassis. She's got a French name because my husband's French. Um, and her cat's called Buddha because she has a special party trick where she sits up on her back paws and does a little praying thing, which is very cool. Um, and she did that since she was a kitten. So she's called Buddha. I've seen the picture of Buddha doing her party trick. It's quite impressive. Yeah, she, yeah it, it's very cute. She doesn't do it to ask for anything. She's just like, oh, yeah, fine. I'll do that. Yeah. yeah. And the boys' names as well are really, really lovely. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, Kerry-Ann, same to you then. What, um, tell us a little bit about yourself yeah. and who you share your life with. Yeah, my name is Kerry-Ann Cummings. I'm the Offshore Wind Market Director. Uh, uh, I live with my husband, Alan. Um, I was just thinking, Karen, as you trying to remember how long you've been married for, how quick, how long have <laughs> I been married for? But I think it's 12 years this year. I'm sure someone will tell me if I got that wrong at some point. Um, like Karen, I've got two boys. Um, my my eldest, Daniel, is, is soon to be 11 and my youngest, James, will, will soon be nine. They definitely give me a run for my money and, and fill any time that I'm not spent thinking about winds and wind projects and, and, and turbines and things. Um, and we have um, uh, just one pet cat, Guinness. Uh, he's black and white uh, and looks like a pint of Guinness if he lies on his back with his legs in the air. <laughs> Um, Guinness is quite wild, can't be tamed, and and, and lost his eye last summer uh, fighting with another cat. So he's he's now captain Guinness. Um, but yeah, very, a very much love family pet. Unpredictable pets. That's what I absolutely love. I've not been able to convince my husband yet of getting a dog. I grew up with dogs, so I'm absolutely desperate. And I've also got three boys. Um, and they're also desperate for a dog, but we're just just not getting there, just not convincing the husband. Do you think? I was going to say, surely they it. can convince him. It's a good long term plan. Get yeah, the case. exactly. He thinks he's got enough on his plate having three rambunctious little boys, which you know I can't disagree with. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's great. That's us, right? So today's episode, we're going to be talking about the topic of diversity and inclusion. Um, I know you've been both been very active in driving the DNI agenda forward in your organizations and 
and that Karen, you've also been heavily involved in the Access Network, which is an industry-specific organisation working to improve gender diversity. Um, however, we know that diversity and inclusion isn't specifically about gender diversity. We know this. Um, I just wanted to flag this right off the bat because apologise to anybody listening right now that if any of the topics that we're discussing today keep veering in that direction, because we are three straight white women who all happen to be raising young bullets. This is what we know. So on the varied spectrum of discrimination, the gender debate is probably the one that's affected us personally the most. But people have their own different experiences, don't they? And um, we're seeing that very much in the in the news over the last few days, particularly in the UK with the Euros having recently just gone on and the um, racial discrimination that some of the boys there are experiencing, which I just can't kind of get my head around. Um, and we were just talking before this conversation, weren't we, about how people can be a little bit nervous when it comes to topics like this about saying or doing the wrong thing and how to have the conversation. We were having a similar thing in our organisation last year when the Black Lives Matter movement kind of really took over the world and it was it was it was quite surprising just how nervous people were to talk about it. How do yeah. how do people mm-hmm. overcome things like that? Like how do we get past all of that? Yeah, it's something um so we have a group of inclusion champions at work and I meet with the inclusion champions once a month and they self-volunteer, try to represent our whole business. And that's one of the things we've spoken about. So we asked the group about you know, where do we want to get to? What does it feel like when we get there in a year or two's time? If we set ourselves some goals, how does work feel in a few years? And that was one of their specific goals was that it has to be okay to talk about things that were uncomfortable. We have to remove the uncomfortableness around talking about it. Because if we're too scared to talk about it, how do we even start? Mm-hmm. So that is something that we set out as a goal. We want to make sure that it's safe. It's safe to raise topics. It's safe to say, I don't really know how to talk about this. Can you help me? It's safe to say, you know, you said that thing and actually that's not really okay. Can I tell you more about it? But that will move us a long way forwards. And and it doesn't just happen. You know, we need to make it safe for that to have, uh, for people to be able to talk in that way. I was going to say, I think we've we've made leaps and bounds in in a in a similar space on the kind of topic of safety, mm-hmm. where now it's just second nature for us. If we see something that's unsafe, we just say, "I'm not comfortable with this. This is dangerous." We need to think about what we're doing, and we should be thinking about diversity and inclusion in exactly the same way. We shouldn't be afraid to just stop and say, "I'm not comfortable." Yeah. I think the other side of that is that you have to be okay with being challenged so it's the same in the safety space like you can't be embarrassed and think oh my goodness someone told me I wasn't holding on to the hand and I should have been doing that and it's so embarrassing that they've challenged me on that you have to say yeah thanks I can do better so I will so you have we have to help people be open to being educated and being challenged on DNI as well. Well there is there is an element of making sure that um, you know language comes into play so it's scrutinized when it comes to to these types of topics and the thing with it is is that there's so many people that have have experienced different very very various different types of discrimination depending on who they are or their background or where they come from or whatever it is um and it's people feel highly emotional about this kind of stuff, which doesn't help the conversations run easily because people feel very, very deeply, you know, emotional about these things. And so that's why I feel like people feel like they need to be really, really careful about the the type of language that they're using. And you can feel like you've fallen into a bit of a minefield or there's traps all over the place. Don't go there because you're going to say something wrong. I mean, I remember, Last year with the Black Black Lives Matter um, movement, um, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about it and um, they they kept on using the term um, white privilege. And Mm -hmm. I get it. I understand the background of the term white privilege. But then there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people, a, a lot of white people that have grown up not feeling particularly privileged. They've come from really, really disadvantaged backgrounds. So to broad mm-hmm. brush people and say white privilege, 
you know, to some people feels a little bit wrong, but I guess that's what I'm saying. It's like these these typical these typical nuances over the language that we use to surround these things can can feel like a bit of a minefield. Yeah, I, my feeling on that is that the emotional side isn't new. So people, we think people are more emotional or more triggered now. I think they always were, but it wasn't okay to talk about it. So people lived with a lot of things they were uncomfortable with, uh, but they couldn't raise it and they couldn't talk about it and they couldn't say this isn't actually okay. Whereas it's become more okay to talk about it now and to raise it and, and it might be received and people might respect you raising something that actually isn't that comfortable for you. Um, and on the white privilege side, I saw something good, probably on Instagram, which is where I absorb a lot of information, <laughs> but something there which spoke about white privilege. And yes, we have um, white people who maybe don't feel so privileged, um, but they've never been judged or categorized because of their color of skin. So so, so they do still have white privilege. Um, but but yes, that you know, they they can still fall into other groups where they feel discriminated against. I think this is part of the kind of healthy debate on the topic. The the fact that um, there's lots of conversations now and people trying to express how they feel uh, and they're trying to categorisation and, and people putting their hand up and saying, actually, I'm not happy being classed as white privilege. It just generates another debate. Well, mm -hmm. OK, so what does white privilege mean to you and, and why do you think, don't you think that it applies? So I think the more that we can talk on these topics and, and, and move the taboo nature of the discussion on, I think I think it will help us address the balance. Um, there's there's very clear sort of groups of people that tend to be talked about when we're talking about discrimination and diversity. You know, it, it kind of comes down to uh, race, gender, sexual orientation, uh, gender identity. All of those are, are very kind of common themes that people think of when they th think about diversity and inclusion. But where's the line drawn to be in a discrimination issue or just people being cruel this may seem a little bit odd but people mm -hmm. can be discriminated against because of the color of the hair or because of the shape of the body yeah. like so where where does where does the line get drawn between what is classed as a, a, an issue of discrimination or what's not yeah i think that's an interesting point because that helps people helps that you understand why people feel attacked if we suggest that one that we call out their behavior and it was potentially racist or sexist and and people feel immediately defensive because i guess they associate that with being bad rather than perhaps them just not understanding somebody's lived experience and and it was a blunder um but yeah where where so where do those things separate i guess um unconscious bias as a factor. So we've done some work um, in Atkins helping people to understand where they might have unconscious bias and helping them realize that to have bias is human. And you can work to overcome your bias, but more importantly, you can understand that you have some. And like I watch my kids, my kids are four and five, and as their brains have developed, I've watched them try to categorize people. So okay, that person is, you know, likes these things and uh, yeah, like, are they a girl or are they a boy? And, and like th things have to fit into boxes and they're, they're trying to learn. So it's a human nature thing. And once you watch them, you can kind of understand why as adults we have bias because we've tried to categorize and form opinions about things as we've been growing up. And not all of them are right. And they were influenced by, you know, society and, and expectations and teachers and parents. So yeah so i think the discrimination part is where we have unconscious bias if you're intentionally doing it then yeah you're being cruel yeah and that's a really interesting thing and probably something that we can all relate to now we're we're mothers but also maybe even more related mm -hmm. to we're mothers of boys i've definitely seen that i've grown up in the northwest of england there's a very traditional mindset from where i've grown up and I see it now with my, I don't feel like I teach that to my children at all, anything to do with that. But they just, they just absorb it from society. They just pick it up. So I remember um, a few years ago, my eldest son was probably about 
four at the time or something like that, four or five. And I was, and he was off school sick. So he was, he was kind of lying in bed in his bedroom and I was still working, but I was, I was in the old house. I was kind of up in the loft and I had a call with my boss at the time who was Sarah Kent and, um, and Michael came upstairs and sort of came and looked and looked at me and I was just like, I'll, I'll come down to you in a minute. I'm just on a call with my boss. And then I finished up the call with Sarah and went back downstairs and Michael must have been pouring over it for hours. And a few hours later, he went, who were you talking to before? I was like, that was my boss. He went, oh, she's a woman and bosses are men. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, what am I teaching my children if this is what they think? And I was completely perplexed as to where that had even come from because it didn't come from anything that I've ever taught them. But you just pick up these ideas of things from from society and the way that they think that things should be and it's it's quite frightening like I feel there's a huge huge weight on our, our shoulders to uh, change the narrative if you like. There's an interesting dynamic in our house I, I'm, I'm married to a to a teacher which comes with its blessings for, for childcare during the holidays um, <laughs> but there, there's a natural expectation with with my boys and their friends that the, the if either of us were going to be teachers it would be the mum and if either of us is going to be an engineer, it would be the dad. So to have us in the kind of role reversal, it, it, it leads into quite interesting topics in the playground. Uh, you know, the fact that, that mum designs wind farms, that absolutely blows their mind. You know, they've got a mum that does engineering. So I think it's definitely that whole unconscious bias and, and, and just immersing them in that kind of natural environment that to just question what's going on around them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we're probably all doing the same. And I mean, having boys surprised me, like watching how society tried to shape boys because I'd grown up as a girl who was interested in engineering, studied engineering, felt conditioned that I knew how I'd bring up a little girl and try to challenge perceptions and have like help her have open boundaries. And then I had boys and I realized that the world tried to box boys in as well and tell them how to behave and tell them what they were interested in and guide them towards toys and interests and cartoons and clothes colors. And I was just really shocked that it existed on the other side. So yeah, so actually it's been good experience to have. I can understand um yeah how how society pressures men as well. Yeah, exactly. And and the way that, you know, a little girl might grow up to be told that she needs to be kind of pretty and accommodating and all that's the kind of, the kind of narrative for them. Well, you know, it can be just as toxic for boys who grow mm -hmm. up in a in a world where they're told to be kind of masculine and, you know, don't cry and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. And and it's it's in um, you know, the it's still in the society that I grew up in and the kind of the older generations in our family and stuff will still be doing that to my boys and going, yeah. oh, or don't act like a girl and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it it literally just kind of... So you realise how little control you actually have, right? The, the yeah. influences from everywhere, every angle, you 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 know, you, you can't, um, yeah, you can't control all of it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We we, we had uh, friends who had similar uh, age children when the, when the boys were little, but they had girls. And we used to have play dates and they used to love to let our boys dress up in their ballet costumes or their princess dresses or, you know, play with their baby dolls. Um, and, and, and for a little while, my husband was a bit, oh, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with this, with the, with the boys putting on dresses and, and dolls. And for them, they were just playing with their friends. Their friends were getting dressed up. So they were getting dressed up. Mm. It wasn't necessarily an expression of anything. They were just exploring with, with, the, with the toys they found in their environment. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? You only become aware of these things really when you start to shine the spotlight in your own brain as to what's going on. Um, and while we're talking about actually shining the spotlight on brains, we actually recently did a, a pulse survey within our business on, we asked our people what diversity and inclusion means to you. And some of the responses were actually really interesting. It was just a quick pulse survey, but I'll just let you know a couple of them right now. Mm -hmm, so we've mm -hmm. got one person saying diversity and inclusion in the workplace is where everyone, regardless of their background or role in the business, feel equally involved and supported in the contributions they make to the business. Um, somebody else said equal opportunity for everybody, regardless of gender, nationality, race, sexual orientation, religion, gender identity, and not just stating these as values on a policy or poster, 
but visibly displaying them in the makeup of our work teams, which I thought was really interesting. Um, diversity is any dimension that can be used to differentiate groups of people from one another. Diversity allows for the exploration of these differences in a safe, positive and nurturing environment. Um, and then somebody else said, a conscious and present attitude or awareness of the need for a balanced approach to others, whatever their gender, ethnicity, nationality, sexuality, ability. It takes all of us in society to have a voice, to be heard. We're in trouble today. We need a new direction. So I feel like from some, I mean, we've got lots more really interesting responses, but I feel like from some of the responses we've got, people are recognising this, that this is a serious issue. Do you, do you two think that there's a, a one term that I could ask you that would accurately describe what is meant when people use the terms diversity and inclusion? I, as you were talking there, I was thinking about a phrase I heard recently, which was about equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity. So I think, um, yeah, I think if I had to think of a phrase, that would be quite helpful because we have to recognise that the barriers that different groups of people face aren't the same. You know, it's not, at the moment, we have equality of opportunity, but we've got people who've who've experienced different barriers already in their lives and perhaps our system is set up to work for really well for one group of people but not for all groups of people so if we consider um what other people need then yeah it it needs to be diverse to, to suit a diverse range of people i think it's interesting isn't it because we, we talk about diversity and inclusion but actually the two things are almost separate mm -hmm. we could have a really diverse team and organization and structure but it doesn't necessarily mean that those individuals feel that they've been included and it's interesting just hearing some of the comments that have come back there. So, yeah, we, we can hit all of the stats that we want to set ourselves by having 50 percent gender and having more equal representation of, of, of race and culture. But if those individuals don't feel like their view matters and counts, mm -hmm. we're missing the whole inclusion piece. Yeah. Yeah, that's a conversation. So you mentioned Access Network earlier, Joe. So I do some work outside of work um, with other organisations. And that's where we've been trying to shift the conversation. So, yeah, people come to us and talk about, you know, we need diversity in our organisation and it's specifically gender diversity that we work on. And we try to shift them towards, well, if you are behaving inclusively, you will drive diversity. You know, it will be a place where people want to belong and thrive. Um, so if you focus on the behaviours there, you'll drive diversity. If you focus on diversity, sure, you can achieve it. But will it be sustainable? Will people stay? Um, so and then we talk about that becoming a leadership issue. You know, D&I is not other. It's not you do your day job and then you maybe do a bit of D&I. It's everything you do needs to be thought of inclusively. Like, are we running this meeting inclusively? Are we selecting people from this for this project inclusively? Is our recruitment process inclusive? Um, and you need lots of people contributing to all of those things to show you all the different ways that you haven't thought of including people. Yeah. Um, do you think what are the main sort of DNI issues that you see facing the modern workplace and, and specifically this industry as well? Um, what are the things that you've you've seen that you think are the main issues? I think there's a level of, of un unconscious bias. I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit. And, and if we talk specifically on the kind of the gender front, we we as a country work really hard to encourage girls at school to think about STEM type subjects and, and to pursue a, a STEM career. Uh, and, and I saw it myself when I went through university, you, you get to the end of your degree and then you're at that point where you're choosing what career and what direction you want to go in. And, and that can be a point where people fall out of STEM subjects. They've, they've, they've got all the way through, they've got the career, they've got the, the degree and the training and then decide that they don't want to take it any further. Um, so there's a definite need to, to, to help encourage women, particularly in this instance, to, to stay in engineering all the way through and you know, to map out and give examples and role models of people that they can follow all the way through. I think there's, there's so much of that point that they could decide to go and do something else, whether it's accounting or teaching or something else. There's so many options available to you at the end of an engineering degree that engineering is not necessarily the way to go. But do you, why do you think those those decisions are made? 
Like, what is it that's, that's not not attracting people into the industry when they've gone through all of that hard work to get an engineering degree and then decided they must have been pursuing a goal in that? What what changes the mind? I, I think it can be all sorts of things. I think um, without realising it, you know, again, I look back at my time at university and all of my lecturers were men. And I look at the people that came in to give us career advice and were standing in front of us talking about what fantastic careers they'd had. And they were all men. And they're all standing there talking about how they've traveled the world and they've worked these long hours and they've had these amazing careers. And you think, well, actually, I want to be a mum. I want to have children. I'm not sure this is this is the, the job for me. This sounds too hard. So my answer on this ties in quite nicely there, Carrie on. So my answer on this is that we need to help men become give men permission to be equal parents. And that, I think, will go a long way to addressing um yeah, a gender diverse workforce. Um, so Carrie-Anne and I were chatting about this recently and we were talking about how as as young women we were taught that maybe we would have to push for things. So maybe we would say, you know, I, I'm going to have kids, I want to work part time. And, and there was an expectation that we would be supported in that and to make that work. But our husbands didn't, um, weren't supported in the same way. And, you know, we're talking in recent history here so we I don't and I don't think this is on men to push for it I think society doesn't support them so society doesn't support men to take career breaks to have children to work flexibly to finish work at five o'clock to get out and do the school and nursery run and I think we've got a really long way to go on that and um, but I think allowing men to be equal parents will go a long way to address, you know, we spoke about the way boys are boxed in, so it would change that, but it would also really change things at work. So it would remove the stereotypes that women face where, you know, somebody applies their unconscious bias and expects that a woman at a certain age is potentially going to ask to work flexibly or to um, take a career break. If men were also going to ask for those things, then we'd have a completely equal workforce. And I guess when it actually gets um, further down to the front line of, of this industry and, and how we deliver projects and things, I know that especially in certain certain parts of the world that we work in, the the whole the sites are just not set up for for women to even visit them, let alone anything else. You can go and visit site, but don't expect to be able to go to the toilet while you're there. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. So it's it there's um. I don't know whether that kind of thing is is changing. I would so like I've, to think it is, yeah. especially in certain parts of the world. But. I've just been doing a project on that through Access Network, so not me, the wider team Access Network, um, on inclusive offshore working and producing like 10 top tips for operators to make sure their workplaces are inclusive offshore. But that's focused on the North Sea, which I guess is you know, is in a different place to other parts of the world, but, you know, not dissimilar issues like, yeah, platforms without female changing facilities, just really simple things. And, you know, for young, well, for any woman going offshore, just thinking, you know, feeling equal most of the time and then getting offshore and it being a hassle to get clothes to fit and it being a hassle to, you know, her toilet is at the other end of the platform and she has to start walking 20 minutes before she needs to go and, and somebody's saying, oh yeah, we've not really thought about your bedroom. They just all add up. They're, you know, they're micro inequities. They all add up to help you feel like, oh, I don't really belong here and this is hard. And going back to the, you know, do I stick this out as an engineer when actually it's just quite hard all the time and I could go and do something where I don't have to face all these um, ways in which I don't feel equal every day. You know, so you can see it's a compounding problem. Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, when I think about the, the businesses behind it, though, it's hard for them as well because the cost involved in in implementing things like this, um, it, it probably almost becomes, you know, I don't know, is it like... But it's just the right oh, thing to do. It is the right thing to do. Yeah, but it's... Um, and if it changes our cost base, somebody has to go for it and be first, you know. And yeah, I'm trying to think of examples of other companies. But, you know, there are definitely examples of companies throughout time who've said, this is the right thing to do. We're going to do it. It's going to make us more expensive than other people. But it's true to our values. You know, we will keep good people. People will want to work with good people. So, yeah, somebody has to step out and go first. 
exactly but it is it is that whole thing of it being a wider Mm -hmm. societal industry rather than I mean it can start with an individual but it you know it's it's just such a massive tide to turn sometimes it can feel a bit kind of overwhelming I guess. We we had some really good examples practical examples recently where we were doing some risk assessments for some of our structural design and and somebody flagged in the discussion "Well, well what about the rung size if you're climbing this ladder and you've got smaller hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, the the inference was it could be a woman, but but equally there are there are men with smaller hands. Have you thought about the ergonomics of that climb? Uh, and, and all of a sudden that that triggered a whole discussion and a whole you know thinking about do our designs work? Are our designs inclusive? Should we be thinking harder about the designs that we put out there into the public domain for our clients and about them being inclusive? So even little things can trigger all sorts of discussions. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely great. And I know from from my experience as well of working um, working in different countries and working around lots and lots of different cultures, this is something that's always sort of really bothered me. Working in the Middle East, um, and especially in a place like Dubai, where it's it's literally just like a a mash together of all sorts of different cultures. You know, we think that the UK is a, a diverse country, but when you get to somewhere like Dubai, it's just absolutely on another level. Um, there's people living and working there from all walks of life, mm-hmm. all all four corners of the globe, and and it's 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 very class orientated mm-hmm. and very um, if you're from a certain country, you get put in a certain box, you get different yeah. opportunities based on that. And I worked side by side with people from India, people from the Philippines, you know, most of which were much more educated, much more knowledgeable, much more dedicated, better at the jobs than some of their Western counterparts. And yet were, you know, they weren't offered the same level of benefits or they were it's still a level of discrimination, even yeah. though they're treated with absolute respect from everybody across the organisation. Generally, they were still treated differently because they were given different benefits and they were given a different. There was there was a there was a glass ceiling there that couldn't yeah. get back. Yeah, um, we have a team in the Middle East, and I've spoken quite a lot with the team lead there about you know his yeah lived experiences and and how the team have felt about things like that so we've been working really hard to make sure that their working conditions are much more aligned um with what we'd expect in the UK which has been really well received of you know which is good news but it comes back to it just being the right thing to do again so yeah yeah maybe other companies have you know much higher working hours per week but if we didn't make those decisions in the UK, why would we make them in other countries? So, um, so yeah, I understand what you're saying there. Yeah. Um, sometimes those things, again, it's sort of systemic in the industry, though, because sometimes those things can be actually driven by clients as well, who are trying to keep their cost base down. Mm-hmm. They're saying, I don't want to employ... Um, you know, a Western project manager or, or I don't want, don't want to employ a Western person, they'll actually come to us and say, I want Indian people, I want Filipino people because they know that they will come cheaper. Like it's... it's, it's yeah, I think, I hope that what we've lived through in the last year and a half will show that globalisation will be a great leveller because now... <laughs> we've proven that people can do a job from anywhere in their pajamas. <laughs> so, but we've all been at home for a long time. We've all been working virtually. And why would we need to be bound by the country that we're in? So countries now could, um, companies now could have the very best talent from anywhere in the world. And that should start to level um, salaries across the world. So these disparities should start to close. Um, yeah, that that's my hope. And that's not in everybody's interest in the world, of course. Um, it's in people's interest, but it's it's not going to work for companies. Um, but I think we need to keep on the journey that we've been on here. I think we've seen a bit of a, a tie turning as well on, on this topic. So I think you're absolutely right, Joe. Historically, that's where a lot of engineering developments and projects have been, uh, you know, around the kind of base cost of labour. Um, but I've, I've been part of a couple of conversations with clients in the last six months where we've said, 
we want to use our, our, our team in India. They're fantastic. They're just as good as the team in, in the rest of the world. And the natural question is, well, what's their office set up like? Can we go and have a look at it? Have they got the same facilities that you've got? And when you actually start to explain that they're set up and their office is exactly the same as our office in the UK, they're quite surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that all comes down to kind of unconscious bias again, isn't it? it that does. we have yeah. thoughts about how we think things are going to be before we even really have any knowledge or seek to understand the truth. So if we were somehow faced with the opportunity to start a new business, <laughs> you know, maybe like a million, a billion dollar startup, Something like that. That sounds great. I'd love to work here. Can we talk about that theoretically for now? Um, what are the three top tips that you would say as we're starting a new business that you can implement change on DNA issues? What are the things that we should all be thinking about? All bets are off. Like sl slates clean, starting again from scratch. What can we do right from the off? We've been having this discussion a little bit recently, and Karen's kind of mentioned it a little bit in terms of parenting, but there's definitely something about having equal household responsibilities. And it sounds like a really minor thing, but can we move away from this perception that women love to iron? I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. And, and this whole idea that, you know, mummy's going to do the cooking. My husband's a great cook. Uh, you know, I don't need to do it every night. So yeah, if we can just just open up the conversation and actually, to be frank, if anyone's putting up shelves in my house, it's me. I love getting the, the, the toolkits out. That's right up my street. Uh, but I think it's just an interesting discussion just to, to balance and share the, the household responsibilities. Yeah, I'm all for that. I stopped tying in my husband's shirts a couple of years ago and now he calls me a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. You noticed. <laughs> I had this conversation with a couple of friends the other night, so I'm laughing out loud when you mention ironing because I was out with a few friends who I thought were feminists, and they said that they couldn't stand how their husband ironed their shirts, so they redid them for them. I was like, oh, you need to let that go. Oh my goodness, nobody <laughs> likes ironing. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I could go on and on about Carrie Ann's point there. So yeah, I completely agree. I, I mean, we need men to role model that that's what's happening as well we need to talk about it and make it okay but my point for the startup would be that inclusion is everybody's business so it's not you know we, we've already spoken about it in the call but it's not other we don't have like our agenda and our strategy and then like oh and you know we've got 10 minutes left so we should talk about dni or who's the dni person let's make dni their business it needs to be woven into everything that we do needs to be woven into the strategy it needs to be in our leadership meetings everybody needs to be involved in the conversation and it needs to be okay to be talking about it as well and to be challenging and pushing and to be challenged on it as well i think there's something in in recognizing that you don't know all the answers so um my my stepbrother recently became my stepsister so that was quite an interesting one from from you know quite personal one um, and that led to a whole range of conversations, you know, just trying to understand, well, what does that mean? You know, why has this happened? Why are you feeling like that? And just being able to have those kind of quite open and frank conversations and just saying, you know, I, I know it's something to do with me and this is your personal choice, but I don't understand. Can you can you explain to me? Uh, and I think what, what I've kind of found on the EDNI journey is that with, with topics like this that people are really passionate about, they're happy to talk about it. Mm -hmm. If you approach it in a really kind of open and and you know, honest way and just say, look, I'm asking these questions because I want to be more informed. I want to understand more about what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. Can you just talk to me? Just tell me what I should be thinking about. And, so, you know, is there things that I can read? I think just being quite open about it and trying to, you know, educate yourself on, on the topics would be a really good place to start. So what else? Yeah, well, I think we've already spoken about um allowing men to be equal parents so I think this builds on this equality at home but coming back to career where we yeah just remove the stereotype that one gender is more likely than the other to take a break from work to want to work different hours if that was the expectation of your whole entire workforce then you can it takes away the stereotype from women and the unconscious bias that might be applied to them but also improves quality of life for men as well you know life is not just about work and 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 I'm sure lots of our men would 
like to do all of these things, but they're just not permitted to so either financially or just because of societal expectations that they've put on themselves or that people around them apply to them and um, so I think that would bring us a long way forwards and that's something that I'd love to see happen in a new company. I, I think the kind of final one for me is not a bit to be afraid of calling it out if you see something and you just think it's not inclusive or it's not you know it's not fair then we shouldn't be afraid to say it. I've got a great example I, I was on a on a call um, happened to be with my line manager and, and something uh, a comment was made of a sexist nature uh, and my line manager pulled the, the client organization up on it straight away and said that's that's not the right way to behave that's not the kind of organization we are I don't think that's the kind of organization that you want to be either and just being able to be comfortable enough to kind of call out those behaviors is really powerful. Yeah that's great to hear Karen because I remember a few years ago so it was before the kids it was five or six years ago I was seconded into a client organization and there was some the chat the like water cooler chat made me so uncomfortable toe curlingly uncomfortable and we had a long discussion about whether we would call the client up on it because if I felt unsafe we would and at the time we didn't and I really would like to think that now six years later we would we would say that you know this doesn't represent our values we you know can, can we help you move forward on this um and I mean I perceive that it would be better received now than then um but yeah I was um yeah we should be able to have those kind of conversations for sure and say that that those are our values and, and we stand by them yeah absolutely and it's all about how you frame the way that you you're picking people up isn't it so not to attack and not to you know not to make anybody yeah, actually, this is a journey that we're all on together we none of us need to beat the other one on it we all need to move forward together yeah absolutely well that's been really interesting we've got about five minutes left where i just want to throw some quick fire fun questions at you both to just understand a little bit more about because who knows maybe one day we might all work together <laughs> fancy that um, <laughs> um so carry on who is the person that you most admire and why? I've been thinking about this, and again, it's on the backdrop of having boys. Is it's got to be J.K. Rowling? Um, not only is she, you know, when she started those books, she was a single mum on a train, uh, not, not a lot of finance behind her, with this fantastic idea of these group of stories, and has managed to plan them all, and they all link in together, right, right from the beginning to the end. Um, but she's inspired my two boys to love books. Oh. And they love to read. And with that kind of gender stereotype of boys not liking to read, the fact that they absolutely love the books and they keep going back to them. Uh, and my nephews, when the four of them get together, they, they're playing wand games and all sorts in the garden, <laughs> all inspired by J.K. Rowling putting some notes together on a train. I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Karen? Um, I would definitely say Jacinda Ardern. I know lots of people are fans of Jacinda, but I just think she yeah is amazing you know she um redefined working motherhood um she was like four or five months in office and then took maternity leave put interim cover in for herself um and took a break um a short break but um took a break and came back and um yeah just watching her redefine leadership to to do it in her own way and to make decisions that she's never seen anyone else take before her I, I mean like all of our world leaders in the last year and a half but she just comes across as really authentic um, and and doesn't feel like she's trying to be somebody else she's doing things the best way she knows how yeah I could agree with that wholeheartedly um so tell me a habit or ritual that you do that you feel improves your life or helps you to perform better so I, I recently started to, to make sure that I plan breaks into my day. We were on a training session and, and one of the beauties of this training session in this remote environment was that he mandated coffee breaks. Mm -hmm. And it was a game changer for me, absolute game changer. In the office, you'd go to the, to the coffee pod and you'd make yourself a, you know, a drink and you'd make your, your whole team a drink probably. Um, but in, in the home environment where we're here by myself, I just got out of the habit of doing it. So to have mandated coffee breaks was absolutely brilliant. And so I now use those breaks to go and deadhead my roses or, or have a wander around the garden or just to have a few minutes away from my screen to just gather my thoughts before I come back and say, right, what's next? Yeah, I need to take that on desperately. I'll get to like 2 p.m. and be like, why do I feel so shaky? Oh, I see. I've not eaten yet. Today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, you should be taking advantage of, of working from home and, you know, the joys of 
being around the house and stuff like that. So yeah, I agree with that. What about you, Karen? So I was also going to say take breaks, but I was thinking of slightly longer breaks. So just taking like a long weekend or going away on holiday. And I've, it's something I've seen us all struggle with, with the fact that there's not really anywhere to go right now because we're in lockdown. Um, but I I have my best ideas when I have a break. So either while I'm having my break and, and, and that even might be spending my day differently. So if I'm traveling for something or I'm at a workshop or, you know, just a day that looks different from my other days, I have lots of fresh ideas and I'm excited about work again. Um, so any, yeah, and I suppose that applies to even finding ways to do that when you're not taking a holiday. So just stepping out of your routine and doing something a little bit differently. Um, and I see it in others as well. We, we're in the Scottish school holidays now and there's a few people on my team who are just back from holiday. And I've honestly said to them, you've had a holiday, haven't you? You're full of ideas now. <laughs> yeah, it changes your perspective entirely, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, what is one leadership trait that you believe is undervalued? So I think it's emotional intelligence. And I think that's something that um, as women, we really bring to the, the kind of leadership role to, to recognize emotions that we're seeing on others, to understand and manage our own emotions. I think it, it's a really great leadership quality. We need to move away from the times of, you know, the, the boards being hard, cold, uh, aging white men um, to actually reflect on the fact that it's OK to have feelings. It's okay to be in touch with those feelings and to understand the emotions of others around you. Very good, Karen. Um, I was going to say um, that is the fact that leadership isn't about you as an individual. Leadership is about other people. And I was at a um, talk recently, and they were talking about leadership, and and the speaker asked everybody the question, like, do you want to be a leader because you want that next step or do you want to be a leader because you want the best thing for all of those people who you're going to be representing and I was that just made a lot of sense to me I was like yes you know I've always wanted to take the next step in my roles because I want everyone to have the best experience at work um, and that means lots of different things to different people but it, yes the leadership is not about you progressing in your career it's about you yeah bring you know how, helping everyone have the best in this case working experience um, if you could be on the ground floor of any company in history, which one would it be? I, I would say it's Virgin. I, that Richard Branson is is so human and passionate and really cares about his team. But equally, when he chases something, he goes for it. You know, the hot air balloon, the flight we've seen into space over the weekend. And then I think, well, actually, he's also not afraid to make mistakes. You know, we don't have Virgin Coke anymore. That 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 died. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, so, yeah. So he goes for something, and if it doesn't work, yeah, I'll drop that one like a hot mm -hmm. potato, and we'll move on to the next one. But he's he's just out there, not afraid to do things and, and give it all a go. I just think it's brilliant. Yeah. Right, I would say it has to be a company like Patagonia who have really good ethics and values that they've stuck to for a really long time before we even cared about these things you know they looked for sustainability in their supply chain they do free repairs on their old um kit you know that and and that kind of goes against them as a company because people would have to buy new stuff but instead they can get it repaired for free they have um almost equal um, paid parental leave which is really unusual in America um, so yeah just the fact that they've been led by their values and this does increase their price base but because they have good values um, people come back to them um, so yeah I, I think I'd say Patagonia. Yeah great case study. Um, tell me three people living or dead that you'd love to have dinner with. So I think uh, top of my list would be the Duchess of Cambridge I just think the fact that she's a, a full-time working mum in, in the limelight where she can't even go out in the streets and her joggers and her trainers without somebody snapping a picture of her. Uh, yeah, but she's able to focus on the important things, you know, um, schooling, kind of early years schooling and mental health and, and all of those topics. Um, so, yeah, definitely the Duchess of Cambridge. Um, Robin Williams. So Robin uh, Williams really sums up my childhood for me with the kind of films like Hook and Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, and yet he took his own life. I just think, you know, the, the, the suicide 
facts and, and, and stats in men, it's, it's just scary. And being a mum of boys, I'd like to sit down and have dinner with them and just say, well, what should we be thinking about? What should we do differently? How can we make sure that, you know, our kids don't end up one of the one of those these scary stats? Um, and then finally, I, I follow a blogger called Part Time Working Mummy. She's she's oh, here. Her as well, yeah. Oh, excellent, brilliant! Um, and she does so much that it's inspirational. She's got a, a patchwork family, as she describes it. You know, children that are hers, children that are her husband's. They've got one between them, and she does so much for for women who've suffered domestic violence or um, around food poverty. Um, and she just brings some real kind of humanity to it, you know, bringing up her own kids, trying to give up her time. And, and now she writes books as well. So, yeah, that, that would be my, my dinner party. Quite a mix, I think. Cool. And Karen? I, um, I'd love to meet Sandy Toxvig, so the co-founder of the Women's Equality Party. I don't know if you saw, the, there was a programme a few months ago where she um, went for a long weekend with lots of different female TV personalities. And I just loved it. It was just such comfortable TV. She's such a lovely person and she's really interested in other people. And the work that she's done with the Women's Equality Party is just amazing as well. Um, Jamila Jamil, um, so um, yeah, does is an outspoken activist. Talks a lot about mental health and um, I guess societal pressures on specifically women. Um, she did a fabulous speech for bringing up young men as well. But yeah, I just I think goodness me, we could talk all night. Um, and Pink, I don't know if you watched Pink's documentary on Amazon Prime, but she um, she's just amazing. Uh, she yeah is is leading um and again hasn't stepped into anybody else's shoes to do it you know she has to lead this crew of two or three hundred people and didn't take on the role that somebody had before her. she just does it and she um is touring with a young family when normally women don't tour once they've had a family um and yeah just has a great approach to um, bringing up children and life in general she's still doing gymnastics in her 40s in her shows I just think she's so cool she is cool. She's just so real. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about her. She's just really real. Well, that was really interesting conversation. Thank you for kind of at least opening my eyes a little bit more about diversity and inclusion issues and uh, hopefully all of the listeners as well. And, you know, um, hopefully something exciting will be coming in each of our futures in a few weeks' time. But, you know, we won't know. We can have our own dinner party, Joe. Well, that's been great. Thanks so much for joining us, Karen and Kellyanne. No worries, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thank you for having us, Joe. There are two words we can all take away from this and start living from this very minute educate and empathize. We all owe it to ourselves and to each other to just be a little bit more informed to truly seek to understand each other's experiences and how they've shaped our individual perspectives in a way that can only happen if we open up the debate and start to have real, honest conversations, especially with people we might think we identify less with, no matter how difficult we think that is. And if you work for an open organisation with a learning mindset, maybe even one that's on the precipice of something new, and is truly committed to cultivating a diverse and inclusive culture, then speak up. Our voices can achieve things that can't be achieved if we all stay silent. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe. Until next time, thanks for listening and stay safe.